Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to begin the sermon this afternoon with a statement that I I hope will catch your attention. Uh, The statement is this, what you are doing right now is the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. What you are doing right now is the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. That's not an overstatement. Here you are listening to the preaching of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. And listening to the gospel being preached is more important than than anything you will do. How can I say that? Well, it's because something happens when the gospel of Christ is preached. Something life-changing. Something with eternal implications. You see, as I stand up here speaking to you this afternoon, I'm not just giving you information. The preaching of the gospel, when faithfully done, is a work of our Lord Jesus Christ that does something. It accomplishes something. It's a work that either brings us into the kingdom of heaven or keeps us out of it. And the same is true of church discipline. When faithfully done, church discipline is an act of our Lord in heaven that does something. It's an act that either keeps us out of the kingdom of heaven or ushers us into it. As we confess from Lord's Day 31, by the preaching of the gospel and by church discipline, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and closed to unbelievers. And we hope to see both of these things from Scripture this afternoon as I preach to you the word of God So I summarized uh, the sermon this afternoon as follows. By the keys of the kingdom, we are either brought into the kingdom of heaven or kept out of it. And we will see this in relation to, first of all, the preaching of the gospel, and second of all, the exercise of church discipline. So Lord's Day 31 describes the key of the kingdom of heaven, the key of preaching of the gospel in the following, following way, and I summarize... The kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed to each believer that God has forgiven them all their sins for the sake of Christ as often as they accept the promise of the gospel. And the kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed to unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. So this is the the catechism summary of Scripture. And it's spot on the mark. This comes to us straight from Scripture, God's Word. And to see this, we're going to focus uh, in this first point, especially, as I mentioned, on our reading from Acts 13. See, Acts 13 is a crystal clear example of the keys of the kingdom of heaven in action. What our Lord Jesus Christ accomplishes by the preaching of the gospel. So let's dive into it now. We can, we can start right at the very beginning of this chapter. The first thing Acts 13 shows is that the preaching of the gospel is a work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, There were a number of prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. This included Barnabas and Saul, who was also called Paul. And we read there, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So 
So Barnabas and Paul were called by the Holy Spirit to a specific work. And what was that work? Well, the rest of this chapter makes clear, and also Acts 14, if you were to read Acts 14 as well, it makes clear it was the task of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, it's striking. This is, this is perhaps the only instance in all of Scripture where the direct words of the Holy Spirit himself are recorded for us. This is something I believe I mentioned when I covered Lord's Day 20. Now, don't get me wrong. Every word in Scripture is the word of the Holy Spirit. He inspired it all. But this is the only instance, I believe, where the Holy Spirit inspired an author to record something the Holy Spirit himself said. And he says, set apart these men for this work, the work of the preaching of the gospel. And this shows us how important this work is to God, the Holy Spirit. And this work is so important because this is how the kingdom of heaven advances in this world. And this is clear from the entire book of Acts, if you were to read it through. The kingdom of heaven advanced throughout the Roman Empire, eventually reaching Rome as the gospel was preached by the apostles. See, this is how God gathers his elect into his church. So this is indeed, it's serious business. You see, the same is true today. It's not just true in the book of Acts. The same is true today, right now. You see, the presence of the preaching of the gospel also here this afternoon, it means that the kingdom of heaven has come to you. It's come to you right now as I, as I speak these words. It has advanced to you. It, it's, it's right here. And we can either be ushered into the kingdom of heaven through the preaching, or we can be kept out of it. To help us see this, let's look at how this works in the rest of Acts chapter 13. So Paul and Barnabas, they were set apart by God to preach the gospel. And first they sailed to the island of Cyprus. When they came to the, the city called Paphos, verse 6 then narrows the story down to two men. One of them was a proconsul, which was a type of Roman governor. His name was Sergius Paulus. And the other one was a sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or Elemas, as he was also called. Now, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, he had summoned Paul and Barnabas. He wanted to hear the word of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas came, and they proclaimed the gospel to him. But Elemas, the magician and false prophet, he was there too, and he opposed Paul and Barnabas. He even tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith, the faith they were proclaiming. In response, Paul, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Can you see from these words how important the preaching of the gospel is to God the Holy Spirit, and to our Lord Jesus Christ? You see how serious this is 
Elymas was trying to poison the proconsul's mind towards the gospel, so he's judged by God. And this is the first instance in, the, in Acts 13 where we see the, the keys of the preaching in action. With Elymas, a magician, we see the kingdom of, of heaven closed. It's closed on him. He's kept out of the kingdom of heaven by his unbelief and sin. And Paul declares he's under the judgment of God. As Lord's Day 31 puts it, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rested upon Elymas as long as he did not repent. However, with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, we see the kingdom of heaven opened. Verse 12 says about him, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He believed the gospel message proclaimed by Paul. And so he is ushered into the kingdom of heaven by that. See, this is how the keys of the kingdom of heaven work. Some are kept out of that kingdom by unbelief. Others are brought in. So that's the first example in our reading from Acts 13. However, the the second example is perhaps even more clear than the first. Paul and Barnabas, they left Cyprus. Eventually, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. And they went first into the synagogue there on the Sabbath day. And the rulers of the synagogue, they asked them if they had any word of encouragement. So Paul stood up and, and he preached the gospel to them. And we're now going to follow the flow of Paul's sermon to see the keys of the kingdom of heaven in action again. So first there's verses 17 to 25. And they function as an introduction. They, they set the context for Paul's message Paul describes some of the history of Israel, showing how it it leads to the arrival of Jesus. And the main point of his first section, the first section of his sermon, is verse 23. There Paul says, Of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And in a very real way, this statement, it forms the theme of, of Paul's sermon. Uh, I'm not the only one who has themes to my sermons. This is Paul's theme of David's offspring. God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And in the rest of his sermon, Paul's going to prove this statement true. And near the end, he's going to show them the implications of this truth, as in what does this all mean for his listeners? So his theme of David's offspring, God's brought to Israel, Savior Jesus, as he promised. Verses 26 to 41 then forms the main body of Paul's message. And actually, we can nicely divide the main body of his message into three points. Very nice. Point one is verses 26 to 31. And here Paul hones in on the person of Jesus describes what happened to him in his life, and explains why this man is the Savior. He says, The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Christ for who he was. Instead, they condemned him and asked Pilate to have him executed. 
And after his crucifixion, he was laid in a tomb. But what did God do? God raised him from the dead. And this is the main message of point number one to his sermon. The people crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. This makes Jesus the Savior. In point two of his sermon, verses 32 to 37, Paul will show why Jesus' resurrection proves that he's the Christ. Christ being the promised son of David, the Savior. And Paul shows this by quoting from three different Old Testament passages. These passages, they all pointed ahead to Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. Think of Psalm 16, quoted by Paul, you will not let your Holy One see corruption in the grave. And the main message of Paul's second point is found in verse 32. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. He's building towards something here. Point three of his sermon, verses 38 to 41. Paul then moves to the main application of this truth he has just explained to them. And this is the main, this is the most important section for our purposes this afternoon. And that's because it's specifically in these last words of Paul's sermon that we see the keys of the kingdom of heaven in action. Here he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed or justified, as we could translate it, from everything from which you could not be freed or justified by the law of Moses. See, this is the opening of the kingdom of heaven, just like it's described in Lord's Day 31. Through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's how it comes to you, the forgiveness of sins. It's proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes in the Savior is justified before God. And everyone who believes in Christ is freed from the guilt of their sin. Freed from God's eternal punishment on sin. Paul's sermon has been building to this crescendo. This is the whole point of his message. It's it's the opening of, of the kingdom of heaven in action. However, as we see, there's another side to this as well. Paul then adds in verses 40 and 41, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This is the closing of the kingdom of heaven through the preaching. He is saying, if anyone does not believe this gospel message I am proclaiming to you, he or she will perish. That person will not be justified by God. They will not receive the forgiveness of sins. They will not be freed from God's eternal punishment on sinners. And look at the results of Paul's preaching. 
The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city came to hear the word of the Lord. But the Jews began to contradict what Paul was saying. And so Paul says, you are thrusting aside the word of God. And by doing so, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. By their unbelief, they have been kept out of the kingdom of heaven. It was closed on them. Paul says they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life by their unbelief, by thrusting aside the word of God. The wrath of God and eternal condemnation rested on them as long as they did not repent. However, there were many Gentiles there who did believe that message. And our reading says, as many as who were appointed to eternal life believed. The ones who believed were ushered into the kingdom of heaven. God gathered his elect into his church by the preaching of the gospel. And here is where we must understand something very important. There is absolutely no difference between the people listening to Paul's message way back then and us here today. There is absolutely no difference, none whatsoever. We, as it were, were standing in their shoes right now. The same message Paul proclaimed to those people is proclaimed to us this afternoon. As Paul said in verse 26, to us has been sent this message of salvation. And in verse 38, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And this is why I said in the introduction to my sermon that listening to the preaching of the gospel is the most important thing you will ever do in life. And this is why we must take to heart the words of Hebrews 2. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it for how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So everyone must listen up and listen carefully. And that means everyone, men and women, boys and girls, single and married, seniors and children. The message of salvation is right now entering into your ears. Take care that it also enters into your heart. Why would you shut your ears to this message? Why would any of you harden yourselves in unbelief? Why would you perish forever? The King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is calling you to believe in him right now. And if you reject his call, it will not go well for you. Make no mistake about it. If you reject this message, you will be condemned forever. Salvation is here. Make sure you do not thrust aside the word of God, judging yourself unworthy of eternal life. So that's the closing of the kingdom. And it must be proclaimed. But there's the opening of the kingdom also. And again, everyone must listen up and listen carefully. 
That means everyone again, men and women, boys and girls, single and married, seniors and children. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are justified before God. You have been set free from the guilt of your sin. You have been set free from eternal death. Your sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. You don't need to doubt. You can know for sure that it's true for you. God uses this message of the gospel to give us eternal life. The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Believe it. It is yours in Christ. In the words of Colossians 1, 13 and 14, God the Father has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Brings us to our last point. So that was the keys of the kingdom when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. We must now look at the key of church discipline. Lord's Day 31 summarizes scripture when it teaches church discipline is applied to people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine and life. And this is one difference between the, the kingdom key of preaching and the kingdom key of discipline. Uh, the preaching of the gospels administered to everyone and anyone on earth without distinction. Right? Christ Jesus sends out gospel preachers to all people. Anyone in Winnipeg can come here and we would, I would proclaim the same message to them. Right? Believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The gospel is proclaimed in the church and outside of the church. Be preached by ministers in the church, missionaries on the mission field. And that gospel message, it can be proclaimed by anyone, any one of us as we speak to our neighbors, talk to people at work or at school. However, things are slightly different when it comes to church discipline. You can notice this in question 84, and you can see the difference in question 84 and question 85. In question 84, the question was asked, how is the kingdom of heaven first opened and then closed by the preaching of the gospel? With church discipline, question 85 asks, how is the kingdom of heaven first closed and then opened by church discipline? And why the difference? Well, it's because church discipline is only applied to those who are already in the church. As we confess in Lord's Day 31, it's applied to people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life. Now, we might have the tendency to think that church discipline is a job only for the elders to do. And it is true that things like discipline announcements and excommunications, they are in the hands of the elders. However, we, we must understand that church discipline, it, it begins with all of us. And Christ makes this clear in, in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So brother and brother, sister and sister. And that can be perhaps a bit of a, a scary thing. However, it's necessary. Sin has a, a hardening effect. 
If we don't say something, the person may, may never repent at all. And furthermore, if we know our brother is sinning and we don't approach him or her, we, we share in that, in that person's guilt. This is something we, we also read about in, in 2 John, which we read this morning, about not welcoming someone into your home. You, you share in their wicked work. After all, we knew he or she was sinning and did nothing about it. And so we have to take this to heart. Furthermore, if sin isn't confronted, it often spreads in the church to others. So it's necessary. And Christ goes on. If this person does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So again, this is serious stuff. As we confess in Lord's Day 31, such people are forbidden the use of the sacraments and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. Now you might wonder, how can we confess that? How can we confess that the judgment of the elders and excluding such persons from the, from the Christian congregation is mirrored by God himself, excluding them from the kingdom of Christ? Sounds like God is subject to human decisions. However, the reason we confess is, is because of what Christ himself says in Matthew 18. There he says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the binding of the church on earth is mirrored by the binding of Christ in heaven. And this is also why the church must bind with utmost care. We must always make sure discipline is according to the word of the Lord. This is also why we confess a proper use of church discipline is a, is a mark of the true church. Whatever you bind on earth is bound on in heaven. Now, of course, God is not bound to an unlawful binding by the church. God's word and judgment, they stand supreme. However, this is not meant to negate the authority of the church and discipline. Church discipline properly applied does indeed close the kingdom door on those who refuse to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must watch ourselves. We must take care that as church we administer church discipline correctly. And we must watch our own lives so that we don't embrace a life of sin and unbelief. Take care that sin, that, which is so deceitful, does not come to, to rule our hearts and our lives. Let's also look out for each other. You know, talking to someone about a sin they have embraced in their life, you know, that, that's not easy. But it's important. And it's a loving thing to do. Someone's eternal welfare is at stake. Well, let's also remember the other side of church discipline, too. Church discipline does not need to be the final word in a person's life, and we certainly pray that it isn't. The goal of discipline is, is done out of love to bring someone back to the church, to show them that they are on the wrong path. 
The goal is always to bring someone back. The goal is always to do it in love. And by God's grace, someone might indeed be brought back to faith, to repentance. Paul describes an instance of church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5. There he says about someone living an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. That sounds maybe harsh, but why should the church do this? He says, for the destruction of his sinful flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's always the goal of discipline. That someone's spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And again, it can and does happen that God brings a wayward sinner back to repentance. And when that happens, it's a most joyful time. That person is ushered into the kingdom of God with open arms. As we confess in Lord's Day 1, they are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. Beloved, these are weighty matters, and I know that not all of this is easy. However, it's also an encouraging thing. God has given us a key of preaching to usher us into his eternal kingdom, to give us eternal life. And he has given us both the preaching and church discipline to keep us on that road. Beloved, pray. Pray for the preaching. Pray that it would be faithful according to God's word. Pray that the preaching would indeed proclaim Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And pray that we and and everyone else would be brought to faith through it. Pray that we as church would, in love, be ready and willing to talk to each other when we stumble and embrace sin. That we would do it for each other's good. And pray for all of us. That we might indeed live lives of faith. That we might indeed live lives pleasing to God for his eternal glory. Amen.